arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. do not want to hear that Jones is the only one who has car chases and is shot at. You're listening to a chase in Mannix. Mike Connors is Mannix, as the ad used to say. Mannix was on the air from 1967 to 1975. Investigating murderers is a dangerous game, and at this time in the book, Kando is lurking and is targeting both Jones and Wilmot. This is going to get hairy, folks, with Jones taking another route from Prince William back to Hamilton. So hang on. Here is Episode 5, The Conclusion of Murder at Toby Lake, Dias Jones series by Robert P. Fitton. Murder at Toby Lake by R.P. Fitton, Chapter 19. Jones escorted Wilmot up the Prince William Police Department's granite steps. Ahead of him, L.G. Bentley approached Herbert Lane. LG, if Jones is your client, you better be prepared to bail him out. LG, about the same height as Lane, but thinner, had a voice that was capable of booming over any opponent. And you best stop campaigning on the backs of your constituents, Herbert. My clients have been charged with nothing. Well, I, uh, your grandstanding for your own election is at the expense of my clients, and that'll cost you dearly. We will be deposed under my guidance, and then we will return to Hamilton. Your client has been harboring a fugitive from this jail. I would ask you, Mr. District Attorney, what proof do you have in this matter? Well, I know Jones. L.G. set down his briefcase. He put his hands on his hips. You don't have the evidence, as usual, Herbert. Jones and Wilmot continued with L.G. past Lane and into the building. George Strickland and Kevin Phillips veered in from the side and followed them up the wood stairs to the second floor. Strickland looked tired and Phillips stared ahead. He figured at this point the biggest mistake he made was meeting Fiore. They were seated in a side chamber next to one of the courtrooms. Jones's cell phone vibrated and Coco's name flashed on the screen. 
I have to take this, he said to LG before they all sat down. One minute, Herbert, said LG. Well, this is highly irregular, said Roland Chance, opening his briefcase chamber. He moved back to the table as Jones answered the phone. Hey. Hey. Jonesy, the Falcon and his guys are after Kando. He's a liability now. Why are you telling me this? Just shut up and listen. Kando is in the area. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. Fiore called me himself. Kando is targeting you, Wilmot, and the girl. I had somebody anonymously call the station. Then why don't they just kill him? You gotta find him first, Jonesy. Listen, they don't want him opening his trap. If I were you, I'd get the hell out of the area. Jones said nothing, producing an eerie silence. We can get you out of the area, Jonesy. I'm not going anywhere. Where is he, Coco? Carmine, my cousin told me Kando was in Boston. Friends of the Falcon saw him talking with locals in the South End. Just who is this guy? I have no idea. Did Fury tell him to kill me or Wilmot? And Wilmot may be able to identify him. Exactly, Jonesy. Just head for my place on Crescent Street. We'll get you out of here. No. What do you mean, no? Don't be a damn fool, Jonesy. The guy's a cold-blooded killer. I'm with L.G. Bentley and Wilmot. Herbert Lane and Roland Chance are putting me under oath. Well, Bentley is good. Don't worry about fat Herbert. Chance is weighted down by his own gold chains. But, Jonesy, when you get out of there, just casually head over to Crescent. Let me see how this goes. It's your life. Don't be a dummy. Jones looked at the phone when he hung up. Then he walked back across the chamber. Any time, Jones, said Herbert Lane. LG stood. I would submit that you refrain, Herbert, from any personal attacks or innuendos concerning either of my clients. That includes sarcasm and your usual outrageous inferences. Lane seemed flustered and pulled on his vest. But, uh, I, uh... And furthermore, Mr. Chance's treatment of my client at the Hamilton Police Station was over the top and not worthy of the legal code of conduct. What did I do? asked Chance, his hands fidgeting. I would ask you to refer to documents 1A and 1B, statements of my clients concerning their knowledge of the Davis matter. Well, we have to ask questions, LG, said Herbert, and lifting a water bottle to his lips. Chance did the same. My clients will only answer with my clearance. Yes, LG, said Herbert. Jones looked at Wilmot and then winked. LG would never allow Herbert to have the advantage. As LG left the parking lot in his gray BMW, Jones quickly explained Coco's warnings to Strickland and Phillips as Wilmot stared in disbelief. My feeling, said Phillips, and I'll let George speak for himself, I think that both of you need to get out of here. Why don't you head up to Maine, to the cabin? You'll be safe until we find this guy. Or we can just go in opposite directions. You can't be in two places at once. That is a good idea, said Jones. Phillips stepped forward. Providing he doesn't know where you're going, Miss Wilmot. Well, he won't. When will Amy be released? Well, not until we find Kando. We have threats against her also, said Phillips. Can we see her before we leave? Come up to my office on the second floor before you go, said Phillips. Call me when you get back, Matthias. I will, George. Is there anything else you're holding out on this guy? Asked Phillips. As of right now, nothing. Well, kindly let us know, said Phillips. Phillips and Strickland entered the stairwell and Jones took out his cell. The line rang. 
Coco. What happened in there, Jonesy? We won't be bothered by Herbert or Roland the Great. Yeah, Bentley could be a millionaire if you worked in the city. He likes Hamilton, said Jones. Wilmot sat on the cement barrier, separating the garage levels. I'm with Zoe. We're heading out. Where you going? Back to Hamilton right now. Hey, this guy doesn't care. He just kills. Jones hung up and faced her. I'm heading back to Hamilton along the shore. It'll take another 20 minutes, but it will make it less visible. Well, that's good, Jones, because I'm all for staying alive. Murder at Toby Lake by R.P. Fitton, Chapter 20 the sun, lower in the sky, highlighted a tree-lined boulevard back toward the shore. Jones, red Hamilton baseball cap snugly on his head, drove along the flats, a section of Prince William reached by heading east from the central cemetery. Veering across the industrial park, a narrow, bumpy road was lined with auto and machine shops, a few light industries and steel buildings led up to the marshes. At night, when it was dark, it was not navigable between the rolling, grassy marshes, the Hamilton town line was still six miles away. Amy is still very scared, said Wilmot. Well, Phillips is right, said Jones, removing his sunglasses. She can't leave now. The jeep bounced along the patched asphalt. Where will you go, asked Jones. What I'd really like to do is go home to New York. I'll visit a friend of mine from college in Michigan. Kando won't put that together. I think you're right. He shifted and slowed as the road worsened. They deliberately leave this road a disaster so people won't take this shortcut. I don't get it. Where does it come out? Toby Lake and then some cottages. Beyond that's Hanson Marinas all the way down to Sal's Grill. She slouched back in the seat and once again put her bare feet on the dash. The sun flickered across the marsh grasses, producing shadows in the jeep. You know, I really didn't like you when you first came over to the lake house. What about now? I still don't like you. Coming from you, Wilmot. Zoe. Zoe, coming from you, I am truly honored. Honored? My antics dragged you into the hurricane. She laughed as she pinched the bridge of her nose. You were quite annoyed with me. Jones grinned. Was annoyed with you? She wrapped his shoulder. Then her face lost its glow. When I read Brad was doing research here in Hamilton, I made the decision to make sure he was brought to justice. He was. Well, I don't know about that. He was killed instantly by this hitman. Right. Jones hit a stretch of road just outside the Hamilton line. The boat moorings and the captain's harbor house at the cove were distinct in the evening sunlight. Tall beach grass moved gently in the breeze on either side of the road as the breakers gradually advanced toward shore. He turned to Wilmot. When we get to the corner of Shore Road, we'll grab some supper at Sal's Grill. How does that sound? Good, I'm starved. His back rear tire blew out and he fishtailed into the sand and beach grass. He thought he heard the crack of a rifle. That was a gun. How do you know? Get down. I just know. He spun the car back on the road. The blown tire caused the Jeep to lean to the right. When he hit the asphalt in Hamilton, the tire thumped. More shots hit the back of the Jeep. How did he know? She shouted from the floor. He must have been at the station. A bullet pierced the plastic covering the window. Jones checked the rear mirror but did not see a vehicle. He twisted the wheel and brought the jeep into the high grass. Keeping the vehicle stable proved difficult. The jeep slid onto the beach. Although the gunfire had abated, Jones was certain they would soon be under attack again. Ahead, a rock jetty extended into the blue Atlantic before Hanson's marina. To his left, the grassy mounds prevented travel back to the road. We're going to have to leave the jeep. 
who just go back to the road. Again, he checked the side mirror. I don't see anything, but he's out there, and he may even have an accomplice. The jetty was only a few hundred yards away now, as the car repeatedly fishtailed to the left. It has to be him, Matthias. I'm going to swing the parallel to the rocks. You climb out the passenger door, and I'll follow behind. Don't you have your gun? No, I don't have a gun, he said, thinking back to Jerry in the blindfold. We'll climb right over that jetty and protect ourselves. He pumped the brakes as he cut the wheels. The jeep slid sideways and the tires hit the rocks. Wilmot pushed the door and crawled outside. She had already started up the rocks when Jones jumped outside. He scrambled behind her and they both leaped into the sand. The harbormaster's house and marina was less than a half a mile away. He grabbed her hand and they ran down the beach. It was only after they had crawled up the second jetty and onto the deck surrounding the harbormaster's house that Jones banged on the door and then looked inside. Ah, Captain must be out. Jones guided her left. As he rounded the corner of the house, a volley of shots ground up the unpainted shingles. He shoved Wilmot to the painted deck boards. More shots hit the deck. Jones pushed her toward the wooden stairs extending down to the docks. Automatic weapons, said Jones as they scurried down the stairway. I don't see the captain. Come on, over the back of the stairs. They climbed the supports down to the docks. Jones took her hand again and they ran along the boats. We need to take one of these boats, she said as the automatic weapons fire scattered the still water. Jones saw something about 50 yards down the long dock. The towering froggy Finley climbed out of one of the speedboats. Although retired, the six foot four inch froggy jogged toward Jones. You're under fire. Take cover. Set your boat up there, Froggy. Yes, sir. Well, get us out of here. Can't do it. More shots hit some of the boats. Why not? Come on, Froggy. Captain suspended my license for speeding. He took my keys. Yeah, we'll all be dead and it won't matter. Right, Amundo. We'll hijack a vessel and give it the old razzle-dazzle. Jones stared at Froggy's wild blue eyes until more gunfire erupted. Then he jumped onto an adjoining cabin cruiser. Jones guided Wilmot under the vessel. Froggy was already inside the cabin, fiddling with some compartment up front. Somehow he had the keys and started the engines. But Kando had targeted the vessel. Jones and Wilmot fell to the floor as the side windows shattered. The boat moved forward quickly. What's the matter? You never been under fire, Jones? Ha ha ha, yelled Froggy laughing. That bastard gets near me and I'll punch his lights out. Just get us to a safe place, Froggy. Froggy accelerated and gripped the steering wheel. So, did you get my outline for the Hamilton defense? Who the hell cares? Get us out of here. The boat skimmed the surface so fast that Wilmot and Jones were thrown against the rear of the cabin. Froggy began howling like a wild dog as more bullets ripped the cabin, some impacting near him. Then he began at a high speed, zigzagging across the channel. More gunfire erupted, just missing the boat. Jones stood. Someone was back on the docks and boarding a boat. He's going to chase us, Froggy, said Jones as he moved up to Froggy. Then we ram his boat. What are you, crazy? That's why you're a lousy coach. You don't take risks. I don't want to risk. I rest my case. If Lark Larson had thought that way, he wouldn't have lasted all those years. Jones just stared at him. Froggy. This is a simple way out of this. Head out of the channel toward the Pequonicut River. So you got no stones, huh, Jones? He began looping the boat back to the docks. 
What are you doing? asked Wilmot as she stood. Froggy reached into a small cube refrigerator and pulled out a beer. He popped the top and chugged the beer as they now aligned with the boat leaving the dock. Jones pushed him aside and swung the wheel to the right. Coward! yelled Froggy. The boat now banked and they started back toward the channel entrance. Froggy pushed Jones. You maniac! What are you doing? Be courageous! Face him head on! A single bullet pierced the glass. Froggy lowered his shoulder and plowed into Jones, catching him off guard. He bounced off the wall. You stupid old fool! Again, Froggy turned the vessel. More shots sounded and Froggy was hit in the arm. Oh dear God! Froggy ripped his undershirt and constructed a makeshift tourniquet around his upper arm. This should tell you, Froggy, the guy's a killer! You don't take the offense, Jones. The enemy will rout you. The puncture wound on his upper arm oozed blood. He still held the beer can and took another swig. I'm going to say this nicely, Froggy. Let go of the wheel and step back. He tilted his head back and laughed. Ha, 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 ha. He chugged the rest of the beer and threw the can overboard. Jones rushed the old man, knocking him to the deck. You're a traitor, Jones. He took the wheel, but it was locked. He tried to force the immovable wheel. What did you do to this, Froggy? Now you're going to have to ram him. It's the only strategy, Jones. Wilmot joined Jones up front. She ran her hands under the panels. There has to be a lever somewhere. Shots tore up the front glass, and Jones leaped to the floor with Wilmot. Froggy dove off the side of the boat as it moved steadily toward the docks. The entire upper portion was riddled with bullet holes, and the window glass was shattered. Jones peered over the top. A shadowy figure aimed his rifle at the oncoming boat. This boat won't hit that other boat. It'll pass by. We'll be sitting ducks. We have to jump now, Zoe, and then swim under the docks. He held her hand and they exited the cabin away from Kando. Then they leaped into the cooling water. Jones produced broad strokes, hinted by his jersey, as he and Wilmot swam toward the high wood pylons under the long dock. Kando must have thought they were still inside the boat. An incredible and intense barrage began as the speedboat passed within a hundred feet of Kando's boat. Jones grabbed one of the pylons and pulled Wilmot beside him. Her dark hair sat matted and stringy on her head. Gunfire tore apart the cabin and then hit the bow. A small explosion ensued, and then the boat blew apart, quickly spreading in a mushroom flash. The smoke spread toward the dock, and debris splattered across the cove. Through the haze at dusk, he saw a silhouetted figure holding an automatic weapon. He fanned the rifle across the water as if he was waiting for them to surface. He's going to be looking for bodies. Let's go under and out the other side. Why well, wouldn't have it any other way? As they treaded water and slid between the pylons under the darkened dock, a salty, dank breeze drifted between the ocean horizon, visible down the dock. He emerged in the sunlight on the far side and guided Wilmot toward the first rock jetty. Then we'll go back up the stairs and call George Strickland, said Jones as they climbed under the large boulders. What if Kando comes up here? Then we have to stop this bastard. I can't just sit here and hide. Agreed. The stair supports were sunk between the rocks at the beginning of the jetty. Both he and Wilmont climbed onto the lower steps. Still wet, they quickly raced up the stairs. At the top, Jones crashed through the office door and picked up the phone. He threw his water-drenched cell phone on the captain's desk. Wilmot remained at the window. Jones dialed Strickland's office. I can't see him. Unless he's straight below us. The line rang and then went dead. He tapped the phone hook. 
Then he punched the number out again. This line is out. A shadow passed over the direct sunlight like the moon across the sun during an eclipse. Silhouetted in the sunlight, Carl Rogers, toting an AK-47 automatic weapon, stepped inside. His glassy blue eyes looked tranquil, but he hardly moved his mouth when he spoke. You weren't smart enough. I just wanted you to know that, coach. Wilmot stared at him as he glanced over at her. She rolled her eyes and collapsed on the floor. Jones grabbed the captain's harpoon and instantly hurled it at Carl's chest. Carl's smooth face tightened as a blotch of blood expanded across his dark jersey. The gun dropped to the wood floorboards, followed by Carl, who landed in the braided rug. Wilmont stood. Jones stared at the harpoon, blade sticking through Carl's dark jersey. Then he slowly shook his head. Right under my nose. Wilmont hugged him. How could you have known? Never dismiss the obvious, Zoe. It could kill you. Murder at Toby Lake by R.P. Fitton. Epilogue. The August heat sunk over the practice field. Jones knew he had driven the team hard during the week. Having a new assistant coach motivated both Jones and the team. Hey, Matthias, said Arnie Dewis. He had stripped down to his undershirt. Where'd you get this loser, coach? Jones turned toward Arnie and Bucky Driscoll standing in front of the bleachers. What's his name, Doozy? <laughs> asked Bucky, laughing. Jones moved in his red shorts, whistled around his neck toward the cackling men. He gazed down at the shorter Bucky, stomach hanging over his Bermuda shorts. Hey, Matthias, you know anything about my walkie-talkie being crushed? It, uh, fell under my tire, Bucky, so you and your broadcasts about my personal life are over. Oh, and my new coach's name is Woozy, Bucky. He was a successful defensive coach at Indiana, where I played. You have a problem with that? Yeah, Buckster, said Arnie, lighting a cigarette. Jones sidestepped in front of Arnie. That goes for you, too, Arnie. I'll have my linebackers drag your butt out of here. Hey, 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 I got no problem with the guy. At least you made a good choice in bringing back Lark and Froggy. I don't see him. Not my idea. They're putting together a new defense over at the baseball field near the conservatory. Yeah, the old razzle-dazzle, said Arnie, elbowing Jones. Bucky, now on his tiptoes in the second row of bleachers, looked over toward the conservatory. Yeah, all I see is a bunch of dummies. I rest my case, said Jones. They're setting up dummies for the defensive alignments for my approval. Big dummies, said Arnie as he looked across the field. The red-haired Franny walked in her faded jeans and tank top. Hey, 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 Franny! Hey, you going out with her, Arnie? asked Bucky. I'm trying. Let me show you how it's done, Buckster. Arnie held his cigarette out and walked like a goof up to Franny. Hey, what do you say you and me take a trip out to the drive-in this weekend, Franny Wanny? Why don't you buzz off, Arnie? <laughs> Playing hard to get, huh? Beat it, Arnie. Hey, what's your problem? You. And by the way, LG will be responding to that bill you sent me for painting my house. No, no, Muddy was behind the whole thing. Well, LG will be contacting him, too. Arnie threw the cigarette across the dried grass and drifted back to Bucky. Come on, Arnie. We know when we're not wanted. Hey, let me tell you about that chick situation back in Brooklyn. Jones looked away from Arnie and put his hand on Franny's shoulder. Can't believe you turned down a night at the drive-in. Funny, Matthias, I may just not tell you what my cousin Jackie has waiting for us. 
Red Sox? She nodded. A complete playoff package. Wow, we have to win it first. He watched Arnie and Bucky walking toward Froggy and Lark on the baseball field. Wait a minute. They never win in the playoffs, if they even get to the playoffs. Well, I've got tickets for the series, too, if they make it. In other words, the package is totally meaningless. Well, I've got a feeling this year. To quote Arnie, yeah, yeah, yeah. The gray-haired woozy ran up to Jones. We're ready for the defensive drills. Hey, that guy Larson is a fool. Jones grinned. Well, what about Froggy? He threatened to send me through the Marine Corps obstacle course. Woozy squinted at Lark, Froggy, and the dummies. Oh, by the way, Woozy, this is my friend Franny. She works at the Colonial House. So how do you like New England, Woozy? Well, it certainly is different. Ah, you'll get used to it, said Jones, glancing at Arnie and Bucky. Smoke arose from the grass where Arnie had flipped the cigarette. Jones quickly ran over and stomped the area with his sneaker. Then again, maybe you won't get used to it. Leo Crowley dropped a bag of practice footballs over by the team and then headed with a newspaper under his arm toward Jones. Franny, said Leo. Woozy, coach, you won't believe this. You just won't believe it. Believe what, Leo? The front page of the Enterprise. Leo, I have to get back to practice. Read it to me while we head over to the team. Sure, said Leo as they started across the field. Jones looked back. Franny, keep the steak and potatoes warm. I'll catch you after practice. Veggie? Your choice, thank you. Oh, yes, master. Jones smiled and Leo began reading the article. The real story of the murder at Tolby Lake by, by Jerry St. Clair. Jones stopped. What did you say? Jones took the paper out of his hand. Jerry St. Clair? That's what I'm trying to tell you. I thought you said he was dead. Jones pushed McGill's cell number. Tom McGill. Tom. What is this, some kind of hoax? Oh, he wrote the story in Florida and emailed it up to me. There's no way he survived that thunderstorm on Lake Cayuga. Well, he told me, and I quote, I had the wind at my back, bub. Jones looked at Leo and then spoke again. He made it to the other side? That's what he said. He said his source told him that Davis went on a boat run to the McQuanagan only once. Now, how does he know that, Tom? I think he kept digging till he found his source. The McQuanagan River... Runs from the White Mountains to 115 miles before it empties into Hamilton Bay. So what? Jules. A robbery in North Eastwick a week before the boat run. 1.5 million in assorted gems. There have been other jewel heists up north. Apparently they did this before. They simply transported the jewels in a backpack. And they whitewatered down to the shore. Davis was told what to do. Another reason why Fiore wanted Davis dead. Where are the jewels now? They arrested Lenny the Falcon, but he's not talking. So Fiore got away with it. For now. Amy Pollard has been moved to a safe house. She's the source. I would say that she is. I edited the article, Matthias, plus Jerry made a few derogatory remarks about you. Well, I'm not surprised. He should be charged with obstruction. Apparently, Pinky Harris took care of things. Just promise me one thing, Tom. He won't be back in Hamilton. Now you can do the same. Let's see. I've got quite a list here. Goodbye, Matthias. The team filed back to the locker room. Wilmot, dressed in blue shorts and a white top, moved along the gymnasium side walkway. Jones looked down at her aqua and black sneakers. 
I talked to Amy before an agent Sears of the FBI brought her to a safe location, and she apologized for not speaking up about Carl and the other things she wouldn't go into. I only hope she has a chance for a better life. I've come to realize that using other people, even to pursue justice, is a crime in itself. Before I drive back home, I wanted to thank you for the date to the cornucopia, and you start at City College in September. I do. Thank you for everything. She kissed his cheek. One question, though. What happened to those neighbors at the lake? My friend Coco made it clear he had the plate numbers that were in that book. They'll be okay. Now, as for me, it's time to move on. Jones nodded and hugged her. Hamilton is a nice place if you ever decide to return. Well, everyone finds their place, Matthias. You've found yours. I'm still looking. Jones nodded. Keep in touch. And if Sears gives me any feedback about Amy Pollard, I'll email you. Thanks, she said, pressing her lips. She turned and started back to the Audi, parked on Hamilton Street. And then she called, but did not look back. Good luck with your Red Sox. Oh, I've heard what they do every August. Woozy drove over the railroad bridge and pulled up to the Colonial House restaurant. Well, my wife's a good cook, he said. She can set another place for you. I'll take a rain check, thank you. Matthias, Lark and Froggy will be gone for the next week. How did you do that? asked Jones. I have a buddy who works for the Football Hall of Fame. He even helped with the hotel reservations. Lark and Froggy are supposed to be going there to add their expertise to the new exhibits. Not the first time Locke tripped over his own ego. See you tomorrow. Thanks, Wooz. I'm glad you're here. Oh, me too. Jones shook his hand through the window. His cell rang as he reached the Colonial House entrance. Jones. Jonesy, I just received an apology from Helene. Hammers pounded and saws buzzed in the background. How did you do that? asked Jones, pausing in the doorway. Let's just say I had adequate legal representation. Listen... That 25 grand Fury gave you is now in Gallagher's youth mentoring program here in the city. Great. Where are you? Never mind where I am. If I get into trouble in the future, I won't be a stowaway on that floating pile of rust. What about Fury? As a matter of fact, Jonesy, he was impressed by you. The fact that you took out Kanda with that harpoon. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, that's what I told him. Then his voice echoed as he yelled to someone working on the job. How'd you know that? I'll talk to you. Jones put away the phone. Franny smiled as she finished writing up an order for another customer. Ah, oh, there he is, the coach who keeps sticking his nose into murder cases. Yeah, that's me. I'll have Eddie get your steak. Thank you, Franny Wanny. Okay, Arnie, she said as she turned. Do you really want to be involved in all these murder cases, Matthias? Sometimes, Franny, things just seem to fall into my lap. Author's note, the Boston Red Sox did the impossible in the fall of 2004, down three games to one in the playoffs against the New York Yankees. The curse of the Bambino was broken by a string of eight straight victories, eliminating the Yankees and then the St. Louis Cardinals in the 2004 World Series. Yikes! I'm Robert P. Fitton. Thank you for listening to Murder at Toby Lake. With Kandu out of the way, Jones can bring in Woozy Williams. Kandu, another great hire by Hamilton Fletcher.
Next time we have an episode on steroids. This audio book has sound effects. Anthony's story. What became of Anthony Stefani, who disappeared five years ago? Within the humor of the wacky characters of Hamilton, New Hampshire, Matthias Jones begins a murder investigation after a bizarre murder in Hamilton. Events turn serious when Jones tracks the killer to New York City in a violent international gang. The investigation crosses the cold case trail of Anthony Stefani. Jones risks his life in a tense confrontation with the gang. The answer to the Hamilton murder yields the secret of the disappearance of Anthony Stefani. Join Jones on a trip to New York City to find Anthony Stefani, as well as Hamilton Fletcher's most secret secret. Stay safe, drive slow. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.